0: Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John uh, Lee Pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Today, we are kind of in the middle of our fall series that we've been calling Follow Me. Let me just piss a little, turn against me. Anyway, so the big theme for this series is this idea that Jesus was a master evangelist. He had this unique ability to engage with anyone and everyone, rich, poor, Powerful, powerless, just broad spectrum of folks, people who were nothing like him, liked him. They, they, they wanted to be in his company. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And so our goal for this series is to figure out his secret sauce, to kind of learn how he did this, how he engaged with people. And then follow his lead, do what he did as we kind of go out into the world to share the message of Jesus Christ. So today, what I want to do is I want to look at a passage in scripture that we have never examined before in the seven years of history here at DHC. And the best way to describe what we're going to kind of witness today is really an awkward dinner party. Um, I don't know if you've ever been at an awkward dinner party or an awkward dinner. I have. You know, someone says something uncomfortable and you just want to crawl under the table and and die. Um, It's great. It's a lot of fun. That's today. All right. Now, Jesus is the awkward guest at this dinner, and he just makes everybody feel super uncomfortable. Now, over the course of this evening, which would have really been several hours, he teaches three big lessons, which I feel like correspond to the appetizers, the the main course, and and the dessert. And there's just a ton that we can learn. So I'm going to walk us through the whole evening and find out what we can learn. Our story picks up in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. One Sabbath day, it says. Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees. Those are Jewish religious uh, leaders. And the people were watching him closely. So let's stop because there's a couple of things I want to point out here. Number one, notice that he's socializing with these Pharisees. If you've been here before, you've heard that name, and you know that Jesus was constantly butting heads with these people. But even though he was constantly butting heads with them, he would still fellowship with them, which is so interesting. Now remember, Jesus didn't come to earth to win arguments, okay? He came to earth to redeem people from their sin, and that includes these Pharisees. Now, there are two other things going on here which are interesting, and it'll give us a clue as to where this evening is going. First is that it happens on the Sabbath day. If you don't know what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath was a a religious occasion for them where one day a week they were to do no work, okay? Instead, they were to reflect, On all that God has done for them. Now, also notice that at this dinner, the people, it says, were watching him closely. This phrase, kind of watching closely, that phrase, when written in the original Greek, means something more like they were lying in wait. Lying in wait, okay? There's something almost predatory about how the other people at this dinner were watching Jesus, which means this whole evening was a trap for Jesus. One big test which involved the Sabbath. Now Luke, the author of this account, lets us know that there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. In other translations it lets us know that he had dropsy. It's an old fashioned term for what we would now call edema. Now <clears throat> this man's presence at this party is highly unusual, okay? Historical records tell us that a person who would be suffering from this affliction, would normally be avoided by Pharisees. The Pharisees would, would, would see someone with edema as being cursed by God, and that condition would make that person what's called ritually unclean, meaning they could not go into the temple like that. And yet here he is, in their house, about to have dinner. Why? Well, the Jewish leaders, they're going to use this man as bait. Now, they're banking on the fact that Jesus is going to see this poor guy and he's going to have compassion on him and that he's going to heal him on the Sabbath. And that's a problem because you're not supposed to do any kind of work on the Sabbath. Now, if all goes according to their plan and he heals on the Sabbath, then boom, he'll discredit himself in front of all the other guests who happen to be big wigs in the Jewish community and the Jewish leadership. Watch how Jesus heals handles this so jesus asked the pharisees and the experts in the religious law is it uh lawful to heal on the sabbath or not so jesus is not an idiot he knows this is a trap he can see right through them but like every other time he just turns the tables back on them and he publicly asks them this question to choose effect you know uh, effectively between their traditions and kindness or compassion which is more important he would say the sabbath or helping someone in need. Now, if they say the Sabbath is more important, well, then they'd be admitting that their traditions were more precious than people. And that doesn't really look that good. But if they said that, you know, compassion and kindness were permitted on the Sabbath, that's also a problem. Because now they'd be authorizing Jesus to violate their own rules. So they kept silent. Right? They, they, like, they tried to trap Jesus. Now they realize that they've been trapped. And so they keep the trap shut. So, taking hold of the man, it says, he healed him and sent him on his way. Now, Jesus may have been surrounded by the most important people in Judaism. They may be lying in wait for him to break their laws, but it did not stop him from healing this man on the Sabbath. That'll really trigger them. He actually kind of, you know, uh, compassionately embraces this guy whose disease would have made him ritually unclean as well. And then he asked them, which of you, which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? And if your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out. What Jesus is doing here is he's alluding to a law that was found in Deuteronomy 22. And in this particular command, of which these people were well aware of, God's people were forbidden to ignore an animal in need. And there were no exceptions made. For the Sabbath, Then he uses this technique, which he often does, of comparing that which is lesser to that which is greater to drive home the point. And he's saying, if you're commanded to save an animal, how much greater is the command to help out your child? And come on, isn't this man someone's child? Jesus' point here is that mercy takes precedent over the Sabbath. Mercy to those who are in trouble that's an overriding command, boys. The Sabbath was not intended to, to, to burden people. It was, it was intended to ease their burden. And for someone to forbid an act of mercy on the Sabbath is just contrary to all that is right. What Jesus is saying here is, "Goes listen, if your beliefs cause you to treat someone the wrong way, then there's something wrong with your beliefs. Which of you, come on, which of you would not save your own son? On the Sabbath. Again, they could not answer. Jesus' simple argument leaves them with nothing to say in rebuttal, with with no grounds to defend their what I'll call callous indifference to this man's suffering. So that's not what I would call like a smooth start to the evening. I mean, like the appetizers are not even out yet, and Jesus has already lambasted this entire group of people. So I kind of picture the host stepping in and going, okay, boys, let's, let's, why, don't we, why don't we all grab a seat because the meal is going to come out? So we read that when Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. So he sees these, all these men who are sort of jockeying to get the best seat at the table. They think about where they ought to be seated, where they deserve to sit. They think about who they are. They think about all they've accomplished professionally, spiritually, and so they all go for the seat of honor. What Jesus is going to point out here is that really one of the byproducts of sin is this desire to exalt oneself, to lift oneself up, to boast, to promote oneself. That's pride. One could argue that is the essence of sin, and it's something we all Shuggle with Whether we want to admit to it or not, we all want to be seen, don't we? Honored. Admired. Loved. Maybe even envied. And Jesus, looking at these men's egos, exposes this inner hidden and ugly desire by giving them some unsolicited advice. He says, when you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor? What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been invited? Because the host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you're going to be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, he suggests, take the least important seat at that table. That way when the host sees where you're sitting, he's going to go, what are, you, what are you doing all the way down there? Come up here, i got a way better seat for you, my friend. And you will be honored in front of all of the other guests. Jesus wraps up by kind of giving them the moral of the story, and he says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be uh, exalted. Now, Jesus' sort of sobering words about pride and and self-exaltation, as he calls it, prompts us, I think, to look inward, into our own hearts, to examine our own motives and ask, why do we do what we do? Like, why, why do we do the things that we do? Why do we say the things that we, that we say? I mean, how much of our speech and actions is motivated by a secret desire for recognition and honor? Scripture is loaded with warnings against pride, against self-exaltation, against self-promotion. But I often wonder if it's falling on deaf ears. Because we live in a culture that really has normalized self-promotion. The harsh reality is that the engine of social media is self-promotion. Because of social media, self-promotion is just expected. It's just what you do. And so people have no qualms about doing it. Hey, look at me. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look what I have achieved. Bask in my glory. We may not be trying to sit in the seat of honor like those Jewish leaders, but we exalt ourselves none the less. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived according to scripture, said this, let somebody else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Jesus is urging those men around that table and us to be humble. To be humble in our public behavior, and even more so to be humble in our own hearts. Jesus then turns his attention to the host. And he says to them, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. Instead, invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay. Jesus is like, so hey, listen. When you throw a dinner party like this one, don't do it like this one. Now, what is he getting at here? I mean, is he, is he really trying to tell us that we should never have dinner with just our friends? No, that's not the case, because we know at the Last Supper, Jesus dined solely with his closest companions. Now, I think what Jesus is driving at here is what I'm going to call true hospitality. We should absolutely be hospitable to those that we know, our friends, our family, even rich neighbors, like he said, if you got them invite them. But Jesus would say, that's not enough. That, that, that's good, it's not, but that's not enough. You're not going far enough. You should actually also show hospitality to those in need, to those who have no possibility of, of paying us back, to those who can't say, hey, thanks for dinner. Next one's on me. The author of Hebrews says something fascinating about um, hospitality. He says this, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without even realizing it. He's saying when you show hospitality or love or or, or kindness to strangers, okay, you may actually be helping an angel. We see this a couple of times in the Old Testament. But more than that, whenever you show hospitality to someone who can't pay you back, whenever you show hospitality and love and kindness to a stranger or to someone who might put you out of your comfort zone, You're actually showing love and kindness to Jesus. Later in the Gospels, Jesus starts talking about the future. In fact, he's talking about what's called the final judgment. And he begins painting this scene of what's to come, where one day he's going to be standing before a crowd of believers, all those who have said yes to him, and he's going to say to that group, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. He goes on, he says, when I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was sick, you took care of me. When I was in jail, you visited me. Now remember, this conversation has not happened yet. This is in the future. But if you're a Christian in this room, and I know many of you are, you will be at this conversation. And according to Jesus, when you hear him say these words, you're going to ask, well, when did we give you something to eat or drink? When did we welcome you as a stranger or give you clothes to wear, or visit you while you were sick or in jail. Jesus will reply, whenever you did it for any of my people, no matter how unimportant they seemed, you did it for me. What Jesus is saying here, and what he's saying around that table to those men is that every single meal, every cup of cold water, every can of food, every time you invite someone into your home who may not be as lucky as you, every act of love given to someone in need is an act of love done to God. It pleases God, and it has an eternal reward. So, so far, Jesus has chastised them over their pride. He has called out the host for basically inviting the wrong people to the party. And so to cut the tension, this guy sitting next to Jesus exclaims, well, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Kind of like, hey, how about those yanks, right? Heaven's going to be great, isn't it? Now everybody kind of raised their glasses, here, here, right? And they're just thankful that Jesus is done with these awkward stories. Jesus, however, replied with this story. It's kind of like, but wait, there's more. Uh, Jesus is like, I'm so glad you brought up the banquet at the, uh, that's going to be happening in heaven. Okay, So he tells them a parable. Now remember, a parable is a fictional story to teach a real truth. And every time you hear a parable, you always got to ask yourself, okay, which character is God, which character is me? So Jesus begins to tell this story. He says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One guy had to take care of his property. Basically, he had to mow his lawn. One guy goes, i gotta, I got I to take care of my ox, and I, I can't make it. Another guy said, I just got married, so can't be there that night. Sorry about that. So the her servant takes these requests back to the master, and his master was furious. And he said, all right, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And so the servant did just as he was told. He reports back to the master, I invited everybody he told me. But there is still plenty of room for more people. And the master's like, great, wonderful. I don't want you to go out into the country lanes. Go behind the hedges. Urge anybody you can find so the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. End scene. The story's over. The account is over. Luke just ends it right. Like Let's talk about this parable, because this parable would have been deeply disturbing to those Jewish people. Now, the parable was prompted by a man at the table claiming that he would be at God's banquet. But in the parable, a man creates a banquet, but those he invited, well, they were too busy to come. The implication is that God's invitation to join him at his table should be the most important concern of our lives. Jesus' story urges its listeners to ask the question, well, is God's kingdom a priority in my life? Am I putting God first in every single thing that I do, or am I putting him off because I'm just too distracted by everyday life? Because notice the excuses that Jesus used in this story. One guy's got to mow the lawn. One guy's got to take care of his animals. One guy just got married. None of these things are bad things. None of these things are evil things or sinful things. These are necessary and good parts of our lives. The issue is, what is of supreme importance in my life? Jesus is sitting around a table with Jewish leaders who all believe they had a seat at God's table because of their own righteousness or because they just happened to have been born Jewish. And yet when God sent an invitation to his banquet in the form of Jesus Christ, they RSVP'd, no. Jesus is calling these Jewish leaders to consider or perhaps even reconsider whether they've responded rightly to this invitation. Will they be sitting at God's banquet table on that last great day? Or will that banquet be enjoyed by those who are Noticeably absent from this dinner party. So how do we follow Jesus' lead here? It's the question we're going to ask every single week. What can we learn from Jesus' interaction at this dinner party? How can we follow his lead as we go out into the world to invite others to God's big banquet? One of the first things that I see in today's encounter is really a reminder of God's passion to save all. In that last parable, Jesus says something that is just absolutely beautiful. The master who is throwing this banquet, which if you haven't picked up now, is is God. God says, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come. So that the house will be full. Last week, if you were with us, you remember at the end of the message in the practical, I urged you to name your Samaritan. That group... Or that person, or that sin, or that category that you've essentially written off. That when you look at them, or that activity, or whatever the case may be, you think, now that's a real sinner. And you might never admit this out loud, but in your heart of hearts, isn't it true? Come on, isn't it true? That at times, maybe at moments of weakness, you almost wish God's judgment on them. I hope they get what Today's encounter reminds us that we must never allow our hearts to forget that God desires all to be saved. He desires his eternal home, as he called it, to be filled with guests, rich and poor, powerful and powerless, the haves and the have-nots. And today's encounter is to remind you to get out of your comfort zone, to drop your prejudices, lose the ego and any sense of self-righteousness that you may think you have. And to share the gospel with every single person you meet, no matter how messy their life is. No matter how far from God you think they are. Jesus died for all. Jesus has invited all to be with him forever. The last kind of interesting thing I notice in today's encounter is Jesus' ability to kind of cut to the heart. That's what I'm going to call it. He had this unique ability to look at a person and to just, reach into the most private recesses of their heart and put a spotlight on that, on that sin or that area of weakness that, that really is holding them back. Now, if we're going to follow Jesus' lead, and we're supposed to, we got a real big problem on our hands with this one. The problem is we are not Jesus, okay? We're just people. We're mortals. We cannot see into the hearts of others. We cannot know their thoughts, but that's okay. Because Jesus sent us the Holy Spirit to help us. And so for us, our task is to pray for the Spirit's power. And now while none of us will have the divine insight that Jesus had, we can pray for the gift of discernment. We can pray for the gift of wisdom. We can pray for the gift of, of understanding. And we can give ourselves over to the task of loving people. Getting to know them. And thus being able to speak with wisdom and understanding and love into their struggles, into their hurts, into their weaknesses and their failings, and into their needs. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So all week long I was thinking about, okay, what? What is the practical from this encounter? And I was thinking, all right, maybe I could be clever and I can pull a you know a practical from each course of the meal. You know, appetizer, I could challenge you about showing mercy to people in need. Main course, I could I could challenge you to reflect on, on whether you've knowingly or unknowingly kind of fallen into the trap of of self promotion. look at me, look at me. But as I stand back and I kind of look at the entire evening and all that Jesus said and all that Jesus taught. I think it really leads to a call to action, to a decision. Will you accept God's invitation? See, God's desire is that all people are saved, that all people would be made right with him, that all would join him in eternity at his banquet. John, who was the best friend of Jesus, put it this way. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 2,000 years ago, God sent an invitation into this world in the form of Jesus Christ. Now here's the thing, based on today's encounter, I think there might be two groups of people potentially in this room watching online or listening in the future. I think there's some of you who might think that you're too good to need saving. That was the Pharisees' problem. And I think others of you might think that you're too bad to be saved. It's too far gone. Jesus would say, you're both wrong. You're both wrong. Salvation is a gift from God. You can't earn it, and you do not deserve it. God's desire is that you would join him so his health is full. So would you say yes? Would you accept his invitation? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that this account has been saved for so many years that we may examine it. Lord, because it reaches into so many issues that we struggle with, God. From a, from a, a, a lack of mercy to falling into the traps of, of legalism, Lord. Traps of, of self promotion, God. But most importantly, Jesus, you've shown us that you desire to be with each and every single one of us, God. And I pray that you would convict our hearts, God. If we are here today and we believe that we don't need you because we're a good person and we do good things, and because of that, God and I, we're good. Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts to realize that our good works are but filthy rags in your eyes. And I pray, Lord, if there is someone here today who believes they are so far gone, that people have told them they are worthless. God, I pray that they would know that they were worth dying for and that you came into this world for those who think they're too good and for those who think they're too bad, God, and I pray that today you would convict all of us to say yes to you. Father, we need you. We love you. And I want to thank you for what you're doing in our lives, God. And I pray that if someone has said yes to you today, oh, God, they would know you in a profound way and that you would draw them near to you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' precious name.